0: Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobion, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with The Grit right now. Hello loves, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. How are you on this beautiful day? Wherever you are, I hope you're feeling good in your body, feeling safe, warm, cozy, cool, refreshed, wherever you might be. I hope you're just feeling good. All right? I'm just going to put it out there. And if you happen to be listening to this during a time of not feeling good, I'm going to set the intention that this particular episode will shift that for you and make you feel better. Deep breath in and exhale at the mouth. Okay, my friends, so if you did not know, last week was my birthday, and I don't know about, you now, about y'all, about you but I love my birthday. You don't like your birthday? That's too bad. It's a real bummer. Birthdays are meant to be celebrated because you are celebrating the fact that you were born and you are in this life now. This is a good thing. This is a good thing because we are part of the thing called the human experience. We are here. We are breathing. You got ears to hear this episode, this podcast, right? It's all good. It's all good. So my birthday is always like a big deal for me. I throw my own parties. It's so funny because I was thinking the other day, I wonder if my kids, when they get to be a little older, would ever try to throw me a surprise party. I don't think they would be able to because I'm always planning my own party. <laughs> um, anyway, so I celebrated my birthday this year with a, a book launch party. Woohoo. So um, yeah, so it was great. And I got a lot of folks to come out and build community and it was beautiful and magical. Great snacks, amazing conversation, great poetry, delicious birthday cake, Um, all good things. So yes, that is something I want to present here in this episode right now. Um, So I'm feeling good. Now, as part of the birthday celebrations, I received, as a gift, a new Oracle card deck. Bum, bum, bum. So this one is actually by Rebecca Campbell, who also does the um, Starseed Oracle deck. I blanked there for a second. This is called Work Your Light. Okay, so the Work Your Light Oracle cards. Here is a card I pulled for us to kick off the episode. What came forward was boundaries. Bum, bum, bum. Where do you need to establish better boundaries? <laughs> You're being called to create clearer boundaries in your life. This could be with your friends, family, or work. Saying yes when you really mean no leads to resentment, which is the biggest energy energy drain ever. 100% true. Hashtag facts. Also, as a side note, I want to add that resentment is the act of giving your power away because you are allowing someone else's decisions or actions to influence you when you could be like, no, mm -mm." more on that in a second. Okay. At first, it might only be a little bit and not feel like a big deal, but before you know it, your energy field becomes porous and you are left feeling depleted, resentful, Or taken advantage of, aka people pleaser. That's not in the guidebook. I'm just saying that, (laughs) Uh, and we will talk more about that as well. So, saying no and having clear boundaries is actually a spiritual act. The most giving, loving, compassionate people are those with the clearest boundaries. This is true. For when they say yes, they are able to give unconditionally because they want to say yes because it's aligned with them. And when you when you act in alignment, I mean, energy is endless, actually. It's like this miracle. Like when you're doing something that you love, something that lights you up, you feel like you can go on and on and on and not run out of energy when you do it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's how you know it's the thing that lights you up. Okay, back to the, back to the guidebook. When your boundaries are clear, others know where they stand and you are able to give freely. If you are not clear where your boundaries lie, this causes confusion, resentment, and energetic cords to be planted. So, let me pause here for a second. Let me give you an example. I have a group of friends who I like to get together with every once in a while on Zoom, um, because we all live in, in different parts of the country, not even, or the world, because some are international, and um, in the past. I would host the Zoom call, and in my mind, I would think, oh, it should only go for like an hour, hour and a half max, right? And one time we got together, and it went past the 90-minute the mark of my mental, you know, note, because I was trying to plan my day. I was like, all right, after 90 minutes, it should be good. We'll, we'll wrap up. I can go on with my day, blah, blah, blah. No, the, the call went for t- a little over two hours. I started seething. I started getting resentful. It was not pretty. I mean, not outwardly, right? Inside, my whole body was getting heated. It was tight. I was like, "When can we wrap it up?" And I and I was looking for opportunities in the conversation to say, "All right, you guys, I actually have to go now." So it was great talking. Like you know, that the cue to wrap it up, it wasn't there. I didn't see an opening, and so I was like. Oh, 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 you know, starting to just watch time take away, and I was getting resentful. Resentful. I was giving my power away. Why? Because I didn't set the boundary of time to say, hey, we are going to get together on Zoom, and I only have an hour. So that's what we're going to do. And you know what? I did that. And it was an amazing call. Everyone just like hopped right in. It wasn't sort of like this big, spacious, let's warm up and then get to the nitty gritty of what we want to talk about. It was like, let's just dive in. Let's just get real. No, no small talk, no chit chat. We are getting in. We're going to talk about like the muck that we've been in and share and like be there for each other and witness and hold space. And it was like, it was so, and I don't want to, I don't want to put this, this sort of um, corporate talk in there, but it was so efficient. Um, it was great. It was great because everyone was there. We were aware of the boundaries of time. And when the hour was up, I was like, all right, you guys. And they're like, oh, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm very firm about, you know, I was very clear about the boundary and they all got it. They were like, yeah, cool. And there was no resentment. So this is an example of why setting boundaries is important. Okay. Let's get back to the guidebook. I'm going to talk a little bit more about boundaries. All right. Um, Okay. Oh, also, this part about energetic cords, right? In the calls where I didn't set an end time, I felt like energetically I was being drained because I was holding space and then I was feeling resentful for holding space. So that just like ramps up energy depletion, right? But this time when I set the time boundary, it's like I could hold the space. And I knew when the end was, I had that time boundary set and I felt in it. I said yes fully to it. So keep that in mind, my friends. Okay. So if you are saying yes, when you really mean no, you are likely needing something for yourself. Hmm. Ask yourself, what part of me needs something from them? It could be a need for approval, a fear of being seen a certain way, or a fear of loss. So let's just unpack this for a little bit because there's there's a lot here. All right. When we don't set a boundary, when we say yes, when we really mean no, let's talk about this need for approval. How many of us say yes to the things our parents ask us to do because we want their approval? Right. I mean, when, when you're a kid, sometimes you have no choice because they're the ones who are your providers of care, right? They they're the ones that are giving you a house over your head, they're feeding you and clothing you, right? But when we're adults and <clears throat> we'll take college for example, right? I'll use myself as an example. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> we're just going to use that phrase because it's easy. Right? I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so when I graduated from my, well when I was applying for colleges in high school, I was like I don't, I don't even know like what areas of study I want to go into or anything like that. And so my parents were like, well, you can go into business or you can go into pre-med, you know? And the way it was presented to me was as if I had an option, right? The way they said it. But really the subtext was like, no, you need to find a job that's going to keep you financially secure because we came to this country for you to have more opportunities than the Philippines can offer. That's the subtext. Just wanted to make that clear. So when I went to college, I majored in pre-med and I was like, okay, I'm saying yes to this, even though it doesn't feel that great. Um, I want to get my parents approval, even though I don't know what I want to do yet. I still wanted to get my parents' approval. And then eventually, you know, freshman year, I did that. And then sophomore year, I – well, actually, the second semester of my freshman year, I fell in love with English classes. I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I kind of knew that when I was in high school. I loved English classes. So sophomore year, I was like, okay, I'm going to do both. I'm going to major in biology and double major in English. I'm going to do both. Please the parents for their approval, and also satisfy my heart's calling. That was not a good idea. That, um, yeah, that just wasn't a good idea because it was split energy, right? I'm doing something for the approval of somebody else, like I'm seeking their approval, but I also was trying to honor my, my calling, my, you know, my, my dharma. And that just made a mess of things. So I set the boundary with my parents, as terrifying as it was. And I was like, this is my calling. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to major in. And yeah. And if I don't get your approval, I guess that's my bad, you know, too bad for me, that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, in the end, they came around, took a while, but they came around. Now it's okay. (laughs) Um, But the importance of setting boundaries, like had I not set that boundary, I could have been a doctor, miserable, like energy drain, soul sucking job, resentful, like just a big rump. And that's not really the point of us taking on this human experience, right? So let's think about those boundaries. Um, The other thing, the second thing listed here is a fear of being seen a certain way. So it's tied in with this need for approval, but we don't want to be seen as an outsider. We don't want to be seen as someone who is rocking the boat, because as a communal species, humans are communal by nature. We know how dangerous it is at the reptilian brain, at the primitive brain. We know how dangerous it is for us to be excluded because when it was about survival if we were excluded from the group we were left out to die <laughs> you know we were just like oh sorry you don't fit in all right well you know what we got to we actually have to move camp to another place but you can't come with us because you don't gather anything you don't hunt anything like and are you any good for nurturing the babies no okay well bye you're just dead weight you know <laughs> And I'm imagining like this cartoon of all that unfolding. But anyway, the point is, it is in our nature to want to belong. And sometimes what we do to achieve that, because we have this fear of being excluded, is to shape ourselves to be a certain way. And if you are, let's say if I <clears throat> went ahead to be that doctor. I wanted to be perceived as successful, as financially stable, as the pride and joy of my parents, right? I'm saying yes to their dreams and saying no to mine. And what kind of life is that? I don't think it's a very good one because it's not lighting me up. It's only draining me. I mean, how many people work corporate jobs that they're miserable in, and they just go, oh, you know, it's just to pay the bills. What's the point of life? Blah, blah, blah. Like, who wants to live like that? I mean, I'm not saying people are choosing to live like that, although subconsciously they are, but no one is doing anything to change it. If you are complaining it me and not doing anything about it, then you're not really doing anything about it, uh, doing anything about it. I know that sounds like master of the obvious, right? But what I'm talking about is there is this preoccupation with worrying about what other people think when really you should just be, oh, I don't want to use should. I'm striking that word from my vocabulary. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. Instead of worrying about what other people think, let us focus on what lights us up, on what makes life more joyful what makes life more fulfilling, more playful, more magical. Because that's why we're here. That's why our spirit souls chose, and this is what I believe, chose to come here and incarnate as a human being to have this human experience of highs and lows. Now, contrast provides information for us. The lows are the are the learning places to say, hey, this is what we don't want. And now it's clearer what I do want. You see? So when we are afraid of what other people think, we are actually afraid of our own brilliance. So can we set boundaries where we take care of ourselves first. We let other people's thoughts to be their thoughts and have nothing to do with us. Because I'm going to tell you, no matter what you do, you're not going to make other people happy. There's always going to be someone who decides whatever it is that you're doing is the wrong thing. You could be like, oh, but I want to please this group of people by doing XYZ. Well, you know what? There's going to be another group of people who see you doing XYZ and they'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe that person is doing XYZ. Could you believe that? Blah, blah, blah. People are judgmental. That is part of human nature. The question is, are you going to give your power away to other people's thoughts and opinions of you? Or are you going to set the boundary and say, you know what? I don't care what they think because I am assured in knowing who I am and who I am being is aligned with my purpose, is aligned with my higher self and who I have been called to be in this lifetime. Now, of course, I know there are some who are like, yeah, easy for you to say. Do you know how hard that is? Blah blah blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying that is the thing you need to do. It takes some work to get there it takes some self-awareness, some personal development, some evolution to get to a place where you don't care what other people think anymore. And it takes age. You know, if you don't want to do any of that work, just wait till you get older. When you get to a certain age, you stop giving a shit about what other people think, right? You're just like, oh, that's so petty or that's so dumb. Like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. At a certain age, you just stop caring about those little things because you see the bigger picture. You're that much closer to mortality to the end, right? So that's another boundary. And then the third thing is a fear of loss, right? And what I think about for this particular one are codependent relationships. And empaths find themselves in such a kind of relationship often, if not all the time. I speak from experience as an empath where I found myself doing anything to prevent the person I was with from leaving. You know, like, you know, I I think about like my relationships in college, my romantic relationships in college, they were not healthy at all. I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot of awareness, but thinking back on it now, what what I'm seeing is that I did a lot of people pleasing, a lot of putting the other person ahead of me in order to keep the relationship. Even though the relationship wasn't a good one, I was so afraid of being alone that I was willing to do anything to hold on to that relationship. So the fear of loss is, in this case, the fear of having a partner, of having a boyfriend, You know, like, who was I without a boyfriend? What, how does my identity present itself without a boyfriend? You know, I mean, that's sort of like the messed up stuff that Gen Xers in their 20s thought, (laughs) or at least, you know, kids of immigrants, where identity is really complicated when you're living in the diaspora. Right. And so we look to other people to establish our sense of identity. And so, you know, once you find something like that, where you have a sense of solidity, where you find yourself having a place to land your feet, and in my case in college, it was like having a boyfriend, you don't want to let that go. The idea of losing it feels terrifying because you had been floating around in the diaspora for so long, untethered, knowing and feeling that you didn't really belong anywhere. That when you finally find a boyfriend or a partner who provides an illusion of belonging, then you do anything and everything you can to hold on to it, even if it means saying no to yourself. How many times did I do the people-pleasing thing in that relationship? Too many, too many times. Obviously, it was not a balanced relationship, but I didn't know anything about boundaries, you know? I was like, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that. Oh, you want me to help you with this X, Y, Z? Okay. You know, and it went beyond the relationship. It was like, okay, he was, you know, in a fraternity. So it was like, oh, the fraternity, you know, needs your help volunteering for X, Y, Z. Okay. Like, I'll do that too. Never mind that I have my own responsibilities, whatever. I bent over backwards to, to do that, to prevent the possibility of loss. No boundaries right? So we need to put those boundaries in place. Okay. So now let's go back to the guidebook. The best way to gauge your boundaries is to check in with your belly, your gut, right? Your your belly is the second brain. It has an intelligence known as your quote unquote gut feelings. You all know that feeling, right? When you feel like something's not right, it's usually coming from your belly. You're like, mm, yeah. I don't like this situation. Or you walk into a room, you're like, "Mm, yeah, I don't want to walk into this room. And you turn right around and leave. Yeah, if that's coming from your gut. So tune into this space, your belly, when deciding what is okay for you. How does it feel? What is it trying to communicate with you? And then this particular deck, Work Your Light, has an inquiry question. Where in your life do you need to establish better boundaries? So once you do that, once you take inventory of where you need to establish better boundaries, because I've already outlined why boundaries are key, why they are actually good things. People see you as standing in integrity with who you are, with your energy, with your intentions. And they they people see it right away, you know, and it's it's not always a conscious thing. It's just Something that's sensed, so they'll know when you say yes, you mean it. When you have those boundaries and you say yes, they know that you mean yes, and you will show up for whatever it is you just said yes to, right? But if you don't have boundaries, and you say yes, people will be like, oh, okay. It's sort of a soft yes, and it's sort of like, sort of floppy, flaccid yes, where you're just like, oh, okay, I guess you know, we'll just take that because we need someone to volunteer to set up, you know shop over in this, whatever. So which would you rather be? Would you be the person that people are excited that you said yes to? Or do you want to be that person where people are like, meh, kind of lukewarm? Yeah. I don't know about you, but I am all about option number one. Say yes with a definitive energy. Where you're like, yes, I'm committed. I'm leaping in because I set my boundaries. It is clear where I where I stop and start, um, start and stop, whichever way it is. It's clear where the things begin and I end. You know, like just thinking about boundaries is so important to getting to know ourselves better, to understand who we are meant to be on this planet in this lifetime. When you have porous boundaries, you're just sort of a blob everywhere. You're in everywhere and everything. And then your energy gets split. And then, and then what? You have nothing left for yourself. So we need to set the boundaries. Okay. Now, here's the tricky part, right? If you are not one who has strong boundaries Or clear boundaries. There's this nervousness around it. It's like, oh yeah, everything you're saying sounds good, but it's a little scary. If I'm going to say no to somebody, they're going to hate me. They're never going to ask me anything ever again. Not true. We as individuals, as human beings, have this perception that other people think about us as often as we think they think about us. False. Hashtag false. (laughs) Let, let, Let me just, let me clarify. I might think that Joe Schmo is watching my every move, is watching me and keeping tally of how many times I say yes or no, I'm under this impression that he thinks about me like 24 seven, the reality, the reality is Joe Schmo asks me to say, you know, to do something. I say no. And he goes, okay, goes on his day, find someone else to do the thing. And I'm here freaking out worrying he's going to remember that. And the next time he asks me, Oh God, I better say yes, because I said no last time. And if I say no, he'll be like, okay, no big deal. Goes on to the next thing. You know, I mean, of course, if you continually say no to something that's being asked, then you need to ask yourself, what am I attracting that this same question comes up, the same invitation comes up and the same answer is no what is happening in my belief system? What am I attracting into my life where this is this is coming up all the time? So that's part of looking at patterns. But, but yeah, so saying no and setting a firm boundary can feel scary because we're not used to it and because our egos want to protect us. So our ego is going to be like, oh, You want to say no? Mm -mm, No. People pleaser wants to say yes. People pleaser knows that it's safe for us to say yes, because we want to cater to everyone else's needs before our own. That's what keeps us safe. That's what keeps us alive. This is ego talking. Okay. But what you need to do is to make friends with ego. Is to say, hey, ego, I hear you. I see that you want to keep us safe. I get it. I want to keep us safe too. But this is not how we do it. We keep ourselves safe when we set boundaries and we are clear about what we can and cannot do. And when that happens, we get respect from other people who then say, oh, okay, I get it. All right, you're cool. Yeah, no problem. So it's important for us to make friends with our ego one when it comes to setting boundaries two building nervous system resilience now y'all might be thinking what the heck is nervous system resilience like i know what it is but i don't know what it is <laughs> you know and what i liken it to is the the nerve endings the neurons develop an elasticity in the system, in the nervous system, where when you are activated, no matter what it is, it could be like an old trauma. It could be like the people pleaser mode. It could be like, I'm putting this boundary of no here. And your body's like, do you want to do that? When your nervous system is activated, there is an elasticity when you have a resilient nervous system. Okay. It gets activated. And then there's a, um, uh, flexibility where the nerves activate, but then they relax right away. It's like you're on alert. You look around, you're like, okay, there's no literal danger. There isn't a tiger coming after me to eat me. Okay, let's relax. That's what nervous system resilience is, is when your nervous system, your neurons, the nerves can bounce back quickly, recalibrate, reset, and move out of the sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Okay. When you are in that perpetual survival mode, that's exhausting. And then your body starts to wear down. So it's really important, really key for us to develop nervous system resiliency so that our bodies can experience rest and digest, which is, all, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. You know, it's so funny because I remember one of the early courses that I took started with talking about the nervous system and I was like, wait a minute, I thought this was about empaths and setting boundaries. Why do we talk about science, right? Why do we talk about medical things like, ugh? You know, this was, this was me rolling my eyes thinking like I knew better (laughs) really I don't. (laughs) And I've learned since then to be open to things. And so what um, I have learned over the years in, in this work that I've do, that I've been doing this inner work, the personal development work, the evolution is that the nervous system is the bridge between mind, body, and spirit. So when we learn about our responses of fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, it links back to our spiritual experience of not being safe, our emotional experience of not being safe, whatever it is. But you can't sustain that. So the body starts to break down, which is why there's a rise in autoimmune diseases and cancer. At least this is my theory, right? Don't take me to the medical people or whatever. This is just my theory as a spiritualist. Um, and so how can we shift away from, or not even away, but out of the sympathetic survival mode, right? So that our system can rest and recalibrate and recharge. So boundaries help with that. It gives us space to expand and recharge. So when we build nervous system resiliency, we can set the boundaries with confidence because we know that initial, oh, this is not safe. Activation can then relax. Be like, oh, wait, no, we're not being chased by a tiger. Okay. So that is, that, that's what we need. Nervous system, resilience, and boundaries that help us with confidence, with self-love, leaning into self-trust, all good things. Oh man, my friends, boundaries are so, so important, but we need to work on it bit by bit layer by layer it's not just like one and done like you snap your fingers suddenly it's like bum 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 here are my boundaries everyone stay away no it doesn't work like that it's gradual because it it's an evolution of you understanding that you are perfect as you are we need to heal some of the stories that you inherited in early childhood. And then you can be confident in who you are and who you're being in holding your power and your sovereignty and say, no, I am not doing that because I want to leave room to say yes to me. Capish? You guys got that? Okay, good. Boundary work. That's what we need to do. And I know when it comes to those who might be beginners in the boundary work arena, sometimes physical talismans help with setting boundaries, energetic boundaries. So, you know, holding crystals in your pockets or your hands, um, sometimes Palo Santo, which is um, a, a specific sacred tree. When you burn that, that smoke is very cleansing. Sage is also cleansing. You can light a candle, you know, I mean, if you're out and about, sometimes malabees or bracelets of stones, certain protection energy stones. Those are good places to start, but you don't stop there. You got to look deep within to ask yourself, okay, why do I not feel safe? What in my growing up created this sense of fear, created this sense of danger. And how can I address it? So there you go, my friends. Okay. So let's, um, close the episode. I hope before I read the poem to close the episode, I hope that this is helpful for you in understanding why boundaries are important and that you have a few baby steps into establishing boundaries that feel good. That don't necessarily send you into like freak out mode. Okay. All right. And if you have any questions, you're always welcome to DM me on Instagram at Leslie Ann Hobayan, or you can send me an email, Leslie Ann at Suryagian.com. That's S U R Y A G I A N.com. Okay. So let us flip through the World I Leave You Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. Let's flip, flip through the anthology. Ready? Okay, so this poem is too long, so I'm gonna look for another one. (laughs) I know it's terrible, right? I'm like, la 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 la, there's some poems that are just too long. All right, so this poem is a little bit longer, but it's okay. This poem is by Matthew Olsman. It's called Nate Brown is looking for a moose. Shrouded in fog, dignified and reticent, a moose. When Ross White goes outside in Vermont, he sees one immediately. When Jamal May goes outside, he sees one as well, as if they are everywhere. But when Nate Brown goes outside, he sees only the absence of a moose, spaces where one might have stood but no longer stands. He's been hoping to see one for years. So he practices his moose call and nothing happens. He stands tiptoe on one leg, narrows his eyes, nothing happens. What he has now is a mission, a quest, a calling that can't be denied. It's dusk and he stares into the dark. The world is full of dogwoods and elm trees and behind the branches, 10,000 more, all leafy and stupid and yielding no answers. What do I mean? I mean, despite everything, we might search for something and never find it. When I was a teenager, several of my friends suddenly found God. I tried, but found only pocket lint and angst. The loser of some holy scavenger hunt, the last to cross the finish line, kneeling in church, whispering to heaven, dude, where are you? What made it worse was everyone's conviction, the candles and prayer groups, the the smugness of their repeating. Well, you know, if you look behind you and you only see one set of footprints. What makes Nate Brown's quest equally difficult is how our friend Chip Cheek, leans back in his chair and says, oh man, out here they grow as big as dinosaurs. And how Kellam Iyer's eyes fill with mist when she nods and says, yes, they're almost magical. And so a man goes back into the fields and tries not to move, goes out to the forest and tries not to move, goes down to the river and pretends he's part of the river. He is a stone, a branch, a fallen maple leaf. He is sort of patient, and he'll see this thing or hold his breath forever. I think of myself as a teenager and how I'm no different now. At home, my wife has a numbness, a weakness that spreads through her body, and no doctors can figure it out. When she sleeps, I'm afraid of everything, and I pray into her hair. Like I'm young again, on my knees in a church, in search of an answer, sometimes I go outside, and the dark is so prodigious the way it remedies everything by covering everything. I like thinking of how my friend stares down this same darkness, as if it will be as if it will offer the index to some temporal writing, some temporal secret. Oh, we're looking. Oh, what we're looking for are miracles. Out there, there could be nothing. Or there could be antlers and bucks and hooves, lumbering mysteries. They plod across the quiet fields. All right, my friends. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day or evening whenever you're listening to this. And we'll close the episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos. By signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox, go to suriagion.com slash subscribe.